Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Kia ora and welcome to the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I am your host, Jordan. I am mum to two beautiful little boys, Jai and Ali. I also host the Your Birth Project online hypnobirthing course and the Mini Kiwis First Aid course for parents of under five-year-olds. And I have an online store attached to Your Birth Project, which encompasses everything pregnancy, birth and postpartum related. So just absolutely love that side of the business. I'm also a very, very passionate storyteller and a lover of all things birth. So hence why I am leading you on this podcast. I'm not an advocate for any particular type of birth or model of birth care. I am simply here to hold space for this platform for you to share your beautiful stories with us all. You'll hear stories of joy, of heartbreak, of love, of loss, and each family has a different experience to share. I'm trying to bring to light stories that we often only tell in the darkest of places or to our closest of friends, but really are so important for everybody to hear. So I hope that you love the podcast of these beautiful families all over Aotearoa and I will let you jump into the podcast now. Enjoy. Today's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales is brought to you by Mini Kiwis First Aid and Mini Kiwis First Aid is a comprehensive first aid course for parents with children under five and it is online and you have lifetime access for as long as the course exists when you purchase. The course is instructed by Hannah, who is a mama, and she's also an extended care paramedic, and I am the course participant, <laughs> so I take part in the course and ask questions that come to mind for me at the time when I had an 18-month-old son and soon-to-be newborn son. The course includes videos, audio recordings and downloadable content. It helps you deal with emergency situations related to your child or another child as well as information about warning signs and common illnesses. So really topical at the moment with so many winter bugs going around. I obviously hope you never need to use these materials in the course but you'll be really glad that you've got them in your back pocket if you do, if an emergency does arise. The course is not designed to replace medical advice or emergency assistance, so it's just there to help you provide tools and assist your little one until help arrives or you can get them to the appropriate medical facility. So I just think that you really can't know enough about first aid for children. Um, There's so many times I refer back to this course. For example, when I was starting to feed Ali solids, I referred back to the course. I watched the choking videos. We talk a little bit about solids in there as well. Um, I just wanted to feel like I was well equipped if the worst case did happen. And there's so many times where I've rewatched the course just because I want to feel like the content is fresh in my mind. I have done first aid courses before, but I'm not someone who can just learn on the spot and retain all of that information really well. So I love being able to go back and use the course as many times as I like. So Mini Kiwis First Aid course, I'll pop a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. And there is 10% off the course if you use the code PODDY. So P-O-D-D-Y will give you 10% off the course and that's on the Your Birth Project website or if you follow the direct link for the Mini Kiwis First Aid course in the show notes. 
In today's episode, I speak with Shannon, and Shannon takes us through her journey to pregnancy, which was not an easy one. She has been through all sorts of um, tests over a numerous period of years around endometriosis or PCOS or maybe something else that was undiagnosed, but so many GPs and different doctors told her that they couldn't find anything that was wrong, almost to the point where she thought she was going to give up, but she did eventually end up with a PCOS diagnosis. So we talk about what that meant for her um, and trying for a baby and starting a family and all of that. Uh, they did eventually fall pregnant and unfortunately at nine weeks suffered a miscarriage. So Shannon talks us through that whole experience, which she found super traumatic and really like didn't expect that whole process to be the way that it was. So just a warning, I guess, if that doesn't feel like something that you are in the right space to listen to, then maybe skip through that part. And then she takes us through the process of falling pregnant a second time with daughter Charlotte. And that was a pregnancy that she initially felt a little bit anxious about, but um, she was pretty confident after an ultrasound that things would be okay. So we talk about that and then she takes us through the rest of her pregnancy, including a breech um, baby who flipped and then flipped back, um, which resulted in a C-section booking. So we talk through the C-section birth and a really unfortunate postpartum period where she had a really serious infection and ended up with sepsis. So we talk through that hospital journey and how that sort of impacted her mental health and how that's impacted her as a mother and then how she feels about it today. So jam-packed episode. I hope you love it. If you've lasted this long listening to the intro, well done. <laughs> I will let you jump into the episode now. Enjoy. Hi Shannon, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. No worries, thanks for having me. No problem. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, sure. So um, in our wee family, we've got myself, my partner Cody, um, our five-month-old daughter Charlotte and our little dog Lulu. Um, and we live in Christchurch. We've been living back here about a year and a half now, and I'm still on maternity leave, but Cody um, works in radio technology engineering or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's all very complicated. Um, but yeah, we met about five years ago when we both worked in radio, and now I'm working for a health organization here in Christchurch. Awesome. Very cool. And do you want to talk us through what the journey was like to pregnancy for you and Cody? Yeah, sure. Um, so for me, I guess in a way it kind of started when I was quite young. So when I was 16, um, I had really horrific periods to the point where they would sometimes make me vomit because mm. I was just in so much pain and I was so heavy. So um, back then, the only thing I really knew about was the pill. I feel like it wasn't really, yes. um, like you didn't really talk about all the other different things like the marina and all that back mm-hmm. then. So um, I was put on the pill and I had a really bad allergic reaction to it. So I was put in hospital a few times, just really, really sick, um, vomiting and just, yeah, kind of passing out and that mm. sort of stuff. Um, and I'd swell up really bad. Um, and I just kind of put up with it for a, f- a few years and didn't really go on anything. I wasn't offered any other options at the time. So I just kind of felt like I had to deal with it. Um, and then I started to get pains that kind of felt like, um, it was in my ovaries. Yeah. So, um, 
it was a little bit concerning because it was just random. It wasn't really around a specific time. It wasn't around my period. I had really irregular periods anyway. So it was just, yeah, all over the place. Um, I decided I would see a doctor. She thought that it sounded like I had endo. Um, so I got put on the public waiting list for that. And there's kind of a process that goes along with it for people that don't know. Um, and it involves a blood test and an ultrasound. So when I had my first ultrasound, I was told that everything looked normal except for the fact that I had a bicorneal uterus. So um, for those who don't know what that is, it's pretty much like they call it a heart-shaped uterus because mm. that's, when you look at it, that's what it looks like. It's kind of, instead of being straight or whatever along the top, it's kind of like caved in and it's got two horns. Um, so... Yeah, that was a really big shock because they didn't really give me any information on it. They were just like, yeah, this is what you've got. Um, we'll find out in a few years what that means when it's like kind of time to have kids and all that sort of stuff. Um, so for me, it was terrifying because ever since I was little, I um, just wanted to be a mum pretty much. Mm. And I was scared that that wasn't going to happen. Um, so... Yeah, it's kind of it's scary as well because they are known to increase the risk of miscarriage and stillbirths and premature births and like all of those really high mm. risk um, issues. So it was always in the back of my mind, even when I was not at that point in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, so nothing else showed up on my scans. Um, so the doctor also recommended I get put, I get the marina put in when I um, had my laparoscopic surgery. So she, they were kind of just like, it's going to stop your periods and stop the pain and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So I was like, cool, do it. Um, so I had it done and there was no endo, which was really a huge relief but obviously still a bit annoying because I didn't mm. know um what was going on um so the marina worked for about a year and then it started to not work anymore I was bleeding and it was like having a really really long period with pains um and kind of everything that comes along with it so I decided to get it taken out um and then I found a pill that worked for me. It was like, I don't really know the technical terms. Like, you might know a bit more than me, but I think that only has one hormone in it or something. Right. So yes. it was the hormone that obviously I wasn't reacting to. Um, so I was on that for uh, maybe about a year. And again, it stopped working. Um, and I kind of decided enough was enough. And I really wanted to get to the bottom of what the reason was and like all my family like my mum mm. and my sister and people that know about that kind of stuff um we're just like it's not normal we need mm. to figure out what what's actually going on so um I went to a new GP in a new city and she agreed that it wasn't normal um and so she put me on a low dose antidepressant which was purely to help with um the pain it wasn't anything to do with depression but apparently there's ones out there that help with chronic pain um, and she also tested me for polycystic ovaries, which is done by a blood test. Um, and that came back that everything was normal. So then from there, she referred me to a specialist, um, who was pretty much convinced after hearing everything that I'd been through so far that I had either polycystic ovaries or endo. Mm -hmm. So she referred me back to 
the waiting list for another surgery. Um, and she also actually got my previous blood test results and had a look and said that um, what the doctor hadn't told me was that it was a really borderline results for polycystic ovaries. Mm. So um, she wanted to test me again and obviously I was back on the waiting list for another surgery. Um, but I told Cody that if everything had come back normal from that blood test and the surgery was all normal, then I wasn't going to do it anymore because it was just mm. exhausting. I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere, so I was just kind of ready to live with it. Um, so, yeah, once I had the surgery done again, it came back. There was no endo, um, and my blood test came back negative for polycystic ovaries. So, yeah, we just kind of left it at that, and I was like, I'll just take painkillers and just Mm. all that kind of stuff and deal with it um and then maybe about six months later we moved down to Dunedin and I went to my GP about something completely different um but around the same time I actually realized I hadn't had my period in quite a few months Mm. so I mentioned it to her just kind of as like a passing comment um just so she was aware and so she kind of um, picked it back up and was like, she wanted me to get blood tests done. And that actually came back that I did have polycystic ovaries. So my levels had changed again and mm-hmm. it was showing um, polycystic ovaries. So what I didn't realize at the time, and this GP was amazing compared to other ones that didn't really explain much to me, but she was explaining to me that there was actually two types of polycystic ovaries. So there's polycystic ovaries and then polycystic ovary syndrome, Mm. um, and one's a hormonal one, and one's when you've got actual, like, cysts on your ovaries. So I had the hormonal one, which obviously explains why I didn't pick anything up on ultrasound. Um, So, yeah, when I found this out, I convinced Cody that we needed to start trying for a baby Mm. kind of soon because I was a bit concerned that it was going to take years since I was only getting kind of like two or three periods a year or whatever um so yeah he agreed and we were kind of open to it and then we ended up speaking with our GP about it um and she pretty much said there's zero chance of us conceiving naturally because Mm. I wasn't getting my period so I wasn't ovulating and obviously you need that to create a baby um so yeah, we kind of started talking about getting some help and usually you have to try for about a year or so um, before you get accepted into mm. fertility help. Um, but my doctor kind of said that it would rule me, like that rule wouldn't really apply for us because I just wasn't getting my period. So mm. obviously I wasn't going to conceive a baby. Um, so yeah we started the process for that just before christmas um so not last christmas but the christmas before and again it involved like ultrasounds and stuff and cody had to do a test um and i was booked in for another ultrasound i think it was in probably like january of last year yeah um then while we were waiting for the ultrasound to come around um i got a really light period but it was like it was weird, like it was, I couldn't tell if it was just spotting or if it was a proper period, mm. um, but I just decided, because we had decided we wanted to start trying, I was going to kind of jump on that bandwagon and just try and track ovulation, even though I didn't feel like it was going to be accurate at all. Um, I just, yeah, wanted to feel like we were, we had some chances. Mm. Um, so yeah, we did that, and then 
it kind of led up to Christmas time and Cody and I were going up to Nelson to spend Christmas with my family and we were stopping off um, in Hanmer for the night because it's such a huge drive. Um, and I decided when I was packing for the holiday because we were going for a couple of weeks, I wanted to pack the last pregnancy test I had left <laughs> just in case. Yeah. Um, even though I just I really didn't think that I there was a chance I would be. Um, and then the morning we decided to leave. Well, we were leaving Hanmer to drive to Nelson. I just kind of was spontaneously like, I'm just going to take it because it's going to be negative and then I don't have to take it all the way to Nelson. Um, And so I took it and within seconds it came up really strong positive, (laughs) um, which was a huge shock. And I just remember like saying to Cody, how did this happen? (laughs) Like, this is impossible. Mm. Um, And... Yeah, and so it was good timing in terms of we were pretty confident we wanted to tell our family and close friends like pretty much straight away. Mm. So we told my family on Christmas Eve and Cody's family on Christmas Day. Um, but unfortunately at nine weeks, nine and a half weeks, um, I was taken to hospital and had a miscarriage. So it was in February last year. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the process just like looking back it was not what I expected at all I think you kind of when you think miscarriage you think about what you see on movies and Mm. stuff and it's kind of like you bleed and that's it but um for me it was it was like a three-day kind of um process that was really traumatizing and it was in hospital I was in and out of hospital um and it started with like bleeding on the Friday night and then Saturday I spent all day in hospital with bleeding and cramping um I got discharged in the early evening and then a few hours after that I was taken back by ambulance um because I was in the worst pain I've ever felt and they Mm. were like contractions like they were coming in waves and I was taking like Panadol and anything I could and nothing was taking the edge off it and I was literally screaming Mm. um and so Cody decided he needed to ring the ambulance. So they came and pretty much, um, I remember one of the paramedics just said to me, like, you're, you're pretty much in labor without the full grown baby. Mm. Um, and she said, you know, I've been through, I know what you're going through, kind of all that kind of stuff, which is really reassuring, but it was just, it was horrible. I just remember trying to escape my body, but I Mm. obviously couldn't, just couldn't escape the pain. Um, so then when we arrived at the hospital, I kind of got put in my own room and I was put on the gas and I was just spewing everywhere because of the pain I was in. Um, and then I remember the doctor just being really, I mean, she was nice enough, but in that situation, mm. you want someone that's really like caring kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but she, I just remember her asking me, so do you want a DNC or do you just want to let it happen naturally? And I was like, I don't know, like, no one's really Mm. told me what's going on, like, obviously I know that I'm losing the baby, but, you know, I didn't really know we were there yet, Mm. um, but, yeah, I chose naturally, I don't think I would, um, have, it wouldn't have sat well with me to do a DNC, um, so, yeah, I chose to let it happen naturally, and, yeah, it was just a feeling I will never forget, Mm. yeah, I was in hospital overnight, and then, after that, we were, we both took a week off work, um, and we were referred to the early pregnancy clinic, 
um, in Dunedin, and so that involved um, follow-up appointments, blood tests, and an ultrasound and stuff to make sure that my HCG levels were going down, yeah. and that nothing was left in my uterus, and that it was all kind of um, my body had done what it needed to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, my HCG levels were coming down, but they weren't coming down very fast. And at the start, I was getting, um, I was getting blood tests every few days and then it turned to every couple of weeks. Um, but in the middle of all of that, we decided we wanted to move back to Christchurch. Um, but my Dunedin GP was looking after at all when it came to like my HCG, she was kind of wanting to monitor it still. Um, and then it got to a point maybe about eight weeks after and she wasn't really happy with how slow it was dropping. Like I was still getting positive mm. pregnancy tests and it was still showing in my blood tests. Um, so she kind of gave me a time limit on it and I think it was like four weeks. She said that if it wasn't under textbook within four weeks, I was going to have to be referred back to the women's gyno unit mm-hmm. um, in Christchurch Women's Hospital. But, um, yeah, thank God they came down within that time and um, I got my first period from there, so nothing further needed to be done. Um, So then after that, we decided that because we were back in Christchurch and we were closer to friends and family, we really wanted to start... um, we really wanted to start trying again because we thought that the first time it was kind of a fluke with how quick it happened Mm. and we thought it was just going to take a while again. Um, so after my first period, I got back, I started tracking and, um, at around eight or nine DPO on the Friday, um, I noticed I had like a sharp pain in my left side and I realized that I'd had the same pain with my first pregnancy, like before I realized I was pregnant. So, um, I took a test and it was really, really faint to the point where I didn't know if it was like, I think they call it like line eyes or something. Mm. And they, like, you don't know if it's, um, a line or if it's, yeah, yeah, obviously negative. Um, so I didn't tell Cody until like the Sunday night, Mm. but I had a really gut feeling that it was positive. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, waited until the Monday morning after he'd gone to work and I took another test and it was, um, my first start positive. So I waited until he got home to tell him. Um, yeah, I didn't do anything major for that. I just casually said, it turns out we're really fertile. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then, yeah, that's kind of yeah. that's how we got Charlotte. Yeah, amazing. Very cool. And were you anxious like after the first pregnancy loss around this pregnancy or how were you feeling from a mental health perspective? Um. I remember saying after the miscarriage that I would never feel safe, um, like until I had a baby in my arms, but actually I was quite like, obviously it was always in the back of my mind, but I wasn't as stressed about it as I thought I would be. Um, I did have a bit of bleeding at around eight weeks, um, which obviously naturally I was like, okay, well, I'm going to lose this one. Um, but I had an ultrasound and everything was fine. So mm-hmm. once I'd had that ultrasound, I felt a lot better and I was, I was pretty chill after yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And how were you feeling like in your first trimester in terms of pregnancy symptoms? Did you have many that popped up in the first 12 weeks? Um, I was actually really lucky. I would say the, the worst thing for the first trimester was fatigue. I was just like, I had brain fog. 
I was in bed by 6.30 every night or I would fall asleep on the couch. Um, I had the odd day where I had a bit of morning sickness, but I, it really didn't get bad. Like, I, mm. I vomited a couple of times, but it was just if I'd drunk, like, a cup of tea too fast or, yeah. if, or something like that. Um, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't bad at all. Um, but, yeah, I had a really easy pregnancy yeah. um, until probably the last few weeks and then I had really really bad pelvic pain Mm. um and I just like could hardly walk some days I had really bad acid reflux um I'd like throw up pure acid yeah yeah but other than that I really loved it (laughs) yeah Yeah. and did you do all the sort of standard testing that's offered in New Zealand and did you find out the sex of your baby yeah yeah so we did all the standard testing like I said I did get an extra ultrasound at eight weeks um, but everything was normal throughout everything. We found out the gender at about 19 weeks. Yeah. Um, and then we also had another ultrasound at 36 weeks because Charlotte was breached pretty much all up until 36 weeks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we yeah. kind of had to check it, and she had flipped head down. Yeah. which is really exciting, but as you'll find out, it didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And did you do, and before we get to that, did you do any, like, antenatal classes or birth education or anything like that before your labour? Um, we didn't do any ante- uh, antenatal classes in person just because it was, well, we left it too late. It was really hard to get into them in Christchurch. And then also COVID was kind of stopping them all, but... Um, I listened to a lot of your podcasts, especially the ones that I could relate to. Yeah. And then we did the um, hatched antenatal classes, oh, which cool. were amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, and they, yeah, we left it really late, so we didn't actually get to finish it, but <laughs> we did most of it. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And did you have, like, many thoughts on how you wanted your birth to go? Yeah, not not really. Like, I'm quite a chill person in terms of, like, I don't want to plan too much, so mm. I didn't want a really strict birth plan and um Cody's quite the same like he's he's very just go with the flow yeah so um I didn't have my mind set on what I wanted I did kind of think throughout my whole pregnancy it was going to be a c-section because my mum had a c-section with me my brother and sister and then Cody's mum had three c-sections too so I was like it's destined um and so yeah, I, in terms of a natural birth, though, I just kind of knew I wanted an epidural and that was just um, leftovers from the pain that I went through with the miscarriage. Mm. And um, I was open to kind of trying, like, water, so, like, a shower or a bath yeah. or something like that. But yeah. other than that, I was really flexible on what, on what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Cool. And did you do anything in preparation for birth, like were you antenatal expressing or doing any other things to try and get you to go into labour or what were your thoughts there? Um, yep. So at around, I think it was like 37 weeks, I started expressing colostrum. I just bought one of those um, Haka packs that yep. had the little um, silicone things. And I started to drink raspberry leaf tea, but I did not like the taste at all. So I was very <laughs> slack at actually getting it done. Yeah. So it was more of like a chore that I would forget about. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. And so you mentioned that Charlotte was breech and then she maybe turned around and then potentially turned around again. So do you want to talk us through the end of your pregnancy? Uh, did you go into spontaneous labor or what happened next? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, I had, um, the ultrasound at 36 weeks, which showed that she had gone head down. 
um, which I was really excited about because, like I said, I was like thought it was going to be destined mm. for a C-section. Um, and I had told my midwife because of my pelvic pain, I really didn't want to go past 41 weeks. Yeah. So she, um, I was booked to be induced on the Sunday, which was 41 weeks and three days. Um, so I, yeah, kind of was just waiting for it to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a midwife appointment on the Tuesday of that week. So it was, yeah, the Tuesday of the week I was meant to be induced. Um, but I woke up really sick with literally all symptoms of COVID and oh. it was during flare up. So, um, I had to cancel that appointment and go get a test. Um, but at the time I didn't have rat tests, so it had to be the, like, I had to go somewhere to do it. Um, and because, yeah, because I was negative, my midwife could come to me, but obviously I couldn't go to the clinic. Mm. Um, but she came when I was exactly 41 weeks. So it was on the Thursday. Um, and she spent the whole appointment going over the induction process for the Sunday. So, um, it was, yeah, obviously my last appointment with her. And at the end of the appointment, she started doing all the routine checks, which, um, yeah, obviously feeling the stomach and blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. And usually throughout pretty much my whole pregnancy, Charlotte was sitting really high under my ribs. Um, but this is like the first time my midwife couldn't feel her up near my ribs. So she got really excited and was like, yeah, she's dropped into a pelvis finally and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then she felt my pelvis and I literally just remember seeing her face drop <laughs> and she was just like, shit, like I can't feel anything down there. She's gone mm. transverse. So sideways. Um, so that was a huge shock. And I just remember Cody and I looking at, looking at each other like, oh my God, are we about to have a baby? Mm. Um, and so from there, she warned us pretty much that we were going to have to go to the maternity ward and get her checked because I was already 41 weeks. Um, and yeah, I just remember her saying like, there's a really high chance you're about to have a baby today. (laughs) Um, so we were really excited, but obviously quite shocked. Um, yeah. So she rang the maternity ward and they just said, yep, get her to come straight in. We'll get her checked over. Um, and probably admit her. So we arrived and got put in a room straight away. They monitored the baby. The doctors came in and did an ultrasound and that was just to confirm what position she was actually in. So she was transverse and usually they have options where, they can like manually move the baby mm. and like flip the baby and or put me in, you know, induce me and stuff. But because I was 41 weeks, they didn't have those options. It was too dangerous because she was obviously getting quite cramped in there and all that kind mm. of stuff. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, so they went away and booked me for a c-section for that night and it was like already probably like three o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> and they came back and they were like yep you're going in at six o'clock tonight and yeah. um 
yeah so it went really really fast and yeah it was kind of like looking back it was such a calm situation for because I really hate surgeries and stuff I thought I was going to be terrified and I thought I was going to be like a crying mess and just like panicky but I really wasn't like I was just really calm and I I didn't feel um stressed at all really I think the only time I felt stressed was when they came in to like get me to sign off consent forms and stuff. And yeah, I was like, oh yeah. my god, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah, so around six o'clock, um, my midwife came in and was like, here's your scrubs to Cody. And then she took me off all the monitors and we walked down to the operating theater. And again, I was totally fine until. <laughs> Um, I got there and then it was like spinal block time and Cody couldn't come in and it was just all of a sudden really overwhelming. Mm. Um, so yeah, I burst into tears then and I think I literally just sobbed the whole time I was getting away, um, my spinal. Um, but yeah, my midwife was amazing and she just kept me really, really calm and she was like hugging me and like patting me, just like (laughs) telling me everything was okay. And, um, yeah, she was amazing. Um, that was probably the worst part, though. I remember feeling, like, the pain of when they were trying to get the needle in the right spot. And it was, like, the pain would just, like, switch from side to side wherever they moved the needle, which was gross. But that was, yeah, the worst part. And then um, I remember feeling like I had wet myself when I when all the medicine, mm. like, hit my legs. And it just, like, it was like a wave of warmth down my bum and down my legs. Yeah. Um, but after that, I was way calmer. And yeah, they laid me on the bed and told me I was going to feel like I was going to fall off because they like tilt the bed to make sure the medicine's kind of going in all the right area. Um, and then I started to panic a little bit because my arms started going really tingly. Yeah. And I was like, I don't think this is meant to happen. Um, so I told my midwife and they kind of tilted me some more and then it was totally fine. Um, but my midwife actually told me after Charlotte was born that when I had said that she started to panic because she thought they'd given me too much and Mm. it was like going up my body instead of down. Um, so yeah. And then it was all fine from there. I felt really, um, nauseous though. Um, but I had heaps of comfort in knowing that the anesthesiologist was right by my head and he was really lovely. Yeah. So I felt really safe with him and then, yeah, Charlotte was born at 6.32, and she was healthy with no issues. Um, and as soon as I heard her cry, I just burst into tears, <laughs> and I just remember Cody laughing at me. Um, and they took her to do some checks, then Cody cut the cord, and after a couple of minutes, they placed her on me. And I just remember being in shock with how tiny she was. Like, mm-hmm. I always thought I was going to have a really big baby, mm-hmm. but she was just under 8 pounds, and she just looked so tiny. Um, and yeah, she literally crawled to my boob and just like Mm -hmm. latched on straight away and was just eating away for a while. So there were no (laughs) issues with that. Um, and then afterwards I got taken to recovery and luckily we were actually the only ones there. So we had like pretty much everyone kind of looking after us. Mm. Um, but I was really, really sick. So I was vomiting a lot. Um, so we were there a bit longer than usual. Yeah, and was that just from the um, medications that you needed or? 
Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, um, yeah, they just said that it's quite common. Yeah. Um, yeah, and actually I was also really itchy as well. Oh, from the morphine? From yeah, yeah, that was horrible. I was itchy for like a good few days. Yeah, I was like that with my C-section too. I remember that very, very vividly. <laughs> yeah, I would like yell at Cody to get like a nurse to give me something because it was just <laughs> yeah. horrible. Yeah, yeah. And so once you left um, the recovery and went back to your room, how did you find that first sort of night and yeah, what happened next? Um, so after that, we stayed in hospital for two nights and we had no issues. She, um, yeah, she passed all the tests and we were discharged on the Saturday and I found that process really weird. Like usually, I mean, again, probably from movies and stuff, um, I kind of expect when you were discharged that the nurses would check the baby in the car seat and tell mm-hmm. you a bit about like mm. your painkillers and stuff but they didn't do any of that with us we were just right. sitting in our room for ages until we like packed all of our stuff up but we were sitting there for ages until a nurse walked past and asked us why we were still here and no one had actually told us we could leave mm. so <laughs> yeah we um we got picked up by Cody's mum and then we went home to our place and that night was Cody's family um, came around to meet Charlotte and then my family came the next day. They were traveling from Nelson. And um, yeah, the first night was definitely overwhelming and I really struggled, I think, with not being as mobile as I kind mm-hmm. of imagined I would be after having a baby. Um, yeah. Like I couldn't, you know, carry her really anywhere I wanted to do everything for her, but I couldn't really do anything mm. for her except for sit on the couch and feed her. Um, and I wanted to, like, be the one to go and put her in bed and, like, all mm. that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't do that. Um, and then the next day, my mum and dad came. And to be honest, it's kind of where everything started going downhill with my recovery. Mm. Um, yeah, I just... I noticed that I my pain wasn't getting any better. It was getting worse. Yeah. And um, I was on, obviously, all this, like, pain medication, but nothing was – I wasn't noticing really a difference mm-hmm. with any of it. Um, so my midwife started changing – like, she tried to change my pain medications, um, but the new ones that she put me on didn't help at all either. Mm-hmm. So um, – yeah, it kind of got to a point where I couldn't get up off the couch. I was, like, crying and excruciating pain. It was just – it was actually horrible, and I couldn't walk a meter without kind of crippling over and mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, and the worst part at that point was when I was sick before I had Charlotte, I had a really bad cough, and so my cough was still there. And anyone that's had a C-section knows how horrific it is mm. to cough and laugh after um, and no one had told me about the holding your stomach with a pillow mm. um, trick. So I was just coughing and it felt like my wound, like this is really graphic, but it sounded like my, it felt like my wound was being ripped, yeah. ripped open yeah, and all horrible. my muscles, yeah, yeah, it was actually horrible. And I, I would like have to scream for my mum, mm. like every time I felt it building up for me to cough and she would sprint over to me and like hold my stomach so that I could cough. Um, but yeah, luckily, we also have a really good family friend who um, is a specialized, or she specializes in wound here. So because I was coughing so much and my wound just felt so raw because it was never really catching a break mm. to kind of recover, 
um, we had her check it and that's kind of when we realised it wasn't normal. Yeah. Um, I had blisters like around my my wound, which is something my midwife just had said she'd never seen before mm. in her whole career. And she actually approved for our family friend to do what she needed to do to stop it getting worse or to help it, like to get rid of the blisters pretty much. Because at that point, we didn't really know how bad it was. Mm. Um, and obviously my midwife doesn't specialize in that kind of stuff. So yeah, but she, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the next couple of days it got a lot worse. I woke up one morning, um, bearing in mind this is like in February, so it was the middle of summer and I was freezing. I had the heater in our room like on full bore. Mm. Um, I had a duvet on, I had a dressing gown on, I had a blanket on, and I was still freezing. Yeah. Um, and I was shivering, and stupidly, I ignored it, I think, because I was probably in denial that anything was wrong. Mm. Um, at the time, I just wanted to kind of get on and yeah. be with Charlotte. Um, but the next day, it happened again, and I felt so unwell. Like, I wouldn't even say I felt flowy, I just felt genuinely, like, unwell. Yeah. And myself um so my parents were like this isn't normal you need to ring ring the midwife and tell her everything that's happened mm. and when I did she was pretty much like I'm coming around straight away um and she took my temperature and it was really high and she said because I was physically shaking from being so cold it's a sign that there's an infection somewhere mm. so um she rang the hospital and they pretty much told me I had to go in yeah. and um, my, the midwife secretly apparently told um, Cody that we needed to pack for at least four or five days mm. in the hospital. So, um, yeah, so dad drove us back to hospital and we got put in a room for observation um, and they did COVID tests on us and we had to obviously wait for them to come back before we got admitted to any wards or anything mm. um I got blood tests and vitals taken and they were all just out of whack from the start mm. so once we got negative t- COVID tests um we got admitted to the gyno ward yeah. and because luckily because of Charlotte Cody and Charlotte both got to stay with me the whole time so yeah. I didn't have to leave any of them and Cody could obviously help me with Charlotte um but yeah to be honest like I don't really even remember the first week and a half probably Mm. um of being in hospital because I was just so sick um and I remember like I remember patches of it but it was all the really traumatizing stuff yeah Um, and yeah so when I got admitted they told me I needed to get on IV antibiotics really quickly to kind of stop the infection from spreading Mm. so I think I ended up being on oral and IV antibiotics um but it took them a good few days to actually find the right antibiotics that was going to fight the infection Mm. um, because none of them were strong enough. So the first thing I remember them doing to try and kind of like help it heal as fast as it could, Mm. and this is really graphic and gross, but um, I remember the doctors literally squeezing my wound to get as much like pus out Mm. as they could. And I was just like, oh my God, I still just remember screaming bloody murder like yeah. it was horrific yeah um and yeah they took some swabs of that and found that the bug 
while on the, while I was on the antibiotics that I was on would just keep growing. So mm. it was kind of just like the supersonic bug. Um, so they ended up having to order a special, a special um, antibiotics in that was going to take at least a day to get to us. So yeah. it was all kind of like, oh, my God, like, you know, we need to get it. Mm. Um, but by that point, I was in, I had full-blown sepsis, um, and I was just really, really, really unwell. Yeah. I had um, I had to have an ultrasound done, and for that, it was kind of just like, like when you're pregnant, you've got to have a full bladder because mm. of where the ultrasound was being done. Um, but when it t- came time for me to actually get the ultrasound, it was too full, mm. and I couldn't empty it. So, like, I think I probably spent about half an hour just sitting on the toilet trying to pee but yeah. nothing was coming out even though I was busting to go mm. um and so I couldn't get the ultrasound so they couldn't see anything yeah um and they ended up having to empty it with like I don't know what they're called but they're like catheters that you just literally put in everything comes out it's mm. really gross um but yeah, usually, I think usually the bladder can hold like 500 mils, but mine was holding around 700. So yeah. it was like, it was really full and it was really concerning that I didn't know that it was that full or that mm. I couldn't empty it myself. Um, so yeah, the ultrasound ended up showing that I had an infection that had spread from my wound to inside and I had this huge infected hematoma mm. like near my uterus or like in that area. Yeah. So, um, I ended up going into surgery and they tried to clean it out, but it didn't work. So, um, it was like just a really, I, it was kind of like everyone was kind of in limbo at that point. Mm. Um, and I had to have a blood transfusion during my surgery. Um, and that was kind of pretty much on alert the whole time yeah. I was in hospital they kind of said to me like you just need to be prepared that if that you there's a really high chance you're going to have to have another blood transfusion mm. um yeah so I was just still really really sick after my first surgery I had insane fevers I was spewing I couldn't eat I couldn't stand up um and they were monitoring my temperatures really closely because they were just spiking so often and so yeah. much yeah that they were kind of like, we need to take you back in for a second surgery to see what's going on and clean mm. it up a bit more. Um, so they did. And then when they got inside and it was time to close, um, they realized that one of my layers was so infected that they couldn't close it because mm. this, it just wasn't holding because it was so infected and soft. Yeah. Um, so they had to leave it open for a few more days. And then I had to go back in for my third surgery mm. or fourth, including my C-section. Um, yeah. And so around all that, I was getting blood tests every few hours. Um, and it got to the point where I was having so many needles that they ran out of room on my hands and my arms um, that it kind of was all turning to scar tissue and they mm. couldn't get anything out. So I had to have another procedure done um, with the interventional radiology team. So yeah. it was pretty much just like really, yeah, I don't know. Um, but they had to put, it's called a pick line. So it's like a permanent IV kind of thing mm. that it goes on the top of my arm. And then it's a tube that goes from my arm through to my heart. And it's like, I think mine was like 35 centimeters or something. Yeah. Um, 
and they do it with ultrasound and then they use local they put local anesthetic into the spot and mm. yeah they use ultrasound to kind of like figure out where to put it and all this kind of stuff and when I got it done um it was I think it was the morning after my second surgery and the nurse forgot to like reattach my pain pump mm. so I was on like a button and we don't need pain relief um and yeah, I remember getting down to the team um, and they were f- furious that I had yeah. no pain relief with me. Um, so, because I was obviously, I had to get lifted onto another bed. So yeah. it was like fresh out of surgery, getting lifted onto other beds and moved around and all this kind of stuff. So it was horrific. Um, and I just remember, yeah, again, lying there just sobbing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, while all of this was going on, I obviously had Charlotte and Cody with me still. Um, and, yeah, like, Cody and I say that he was pretty much a single parent for the mm-hmm. first three weeks of Charlotte's life. Um, yeah, I was still having to breastfeed her as much as I could, but because yeah. obviously I wasn't eating, I wasn't producing enough substantial milk for her. So we ended up um, having to put her on formula. Yeah. Um, mainly like I would still breastfeed her when I could, but obviously, yeah, it just wasn't enough. So I just had to keep pumping to kind of up my supply. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were really lucky though, because my, between my parents and Cody's mum, they kind of took Charlotte out of the hospital every day for some fresh air. Um, and then every night she would go home for a bath and then they'd bring her back to us. So she wasn't cooped, cooped up in the hospital the whole time. Um, yeah, so I... Had my catheter and drain in till about three days post op my last surgery, and yeah, it was kind of it was probably at that point where everyone kind of started to worry a little bit about my mental health mm. <laughs> um, because I'd been in hospital for about two and a half weeks, yeah. and it, there was not a day that went by that I wasn't getting something quite quite substantial done to me. Yeah, um, and it kind of it just got to a point where. I would just cry when mm. anyone needed to touch me, even if it was just like a simple blood test from my pick line, which didn't even hurt me. Yeah. I didn't even feel it. I would just burst into tears and just be like a mess. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I was just finding it really hard to do anything for Charlotte as well. Mm. Because I still couldn't walk more than a couple of steps without being exhausted or without being too sore. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was starting to notice that I didn't really want to hold her and, or like feed her, Mm -hmm. um, which really scared me because obviously like that's kind of leaning towards postpartum depression in a way. Um, so I was really scared about that and I was really worried about not having a bond with her anymore because of Mm -hmm. everything. I'd gone through and um, I kind of felt like I didn't have much to do with her except for I was just feeding her occasionally and I couldn't change her nappy. I couldn't take her for a walk. I couldn't do anything like that. Mm -hmm. I couldn't bath her. Um, Yeah, and then there was one night where I woke up to her crying and I just remember waking up and Cody was standing in our hospital room holding her trying to like wake me up to kind of explain to me I needed to feed her and I just had no idea who she was mm. I um I yeah I just remember saying to Cody like whose baby's there and then he was kind of trying to explain to me it's, it's Charlotte like it's our baby it's okay you just need to feed her and mm. all this 
and um I remember my brain working overtime just trying to figure out like why is there a baby in my room whose baby is it Mm. what do I do why is he telling me I need to feed it how do I feed it kind of thing um and yeah it was just it was really bizarre and I was trying to piece it all together and then I remember waking up maybe an hour later and she was in my arms so Mm. I don't know if I took her or if Cody put her there or if the nurses put her there but I still couldn't figure it out and I was still just like what the heck is going on um but yeah and then yeah it just got to a point where I was just really low and I would just sit in my hospital room and just burst into tears because I was so sad and I was so Mm. scared and um I was just over everything like I was sick of people touching me I was sick of not getting like obviously I wouldn't get full sleeps at home but you know like waking up every hour just do obs and then on top of that waking up to Charlotte and it was just it was so so much um and yeah and then because I knew quite a few babies that were born around the same time as Charlotte like within a week of her um, I was getting really jealous because it was kind of, I guess, the toxic toxic social media mm. where I would go on social media and I'd see, you know, a baby born on the, on the exact day of Charlotte, um, you know, at the park or out for a picnic yeah. and, like, the mum walking around after she had a C-section, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that really got to me. Like, I was, I was just so, so jealous. Um, and, yeah, it was horrible. Mm. Um and yeah I wasn't really I just wasn't in a good mental state I didn't like when the doctors would come around in the morning they would kind of update me on things and I just didn't believe any good news that I was told because within like you know the first week and a half I would get told something good but then in a couple a couple of hours later they'd come back and tell me something bad or told me that you know um my temperature's back up or Mm. something that kind of just made it shit again yeah um yeah, it just it was almost like it just the updates didn't really mean anything to me anymore and I just didn't really see the end. Um Yeah. But um my midwife was really amazing and she luckily had quite a lot of births around the same time as Charlotte. So yeah. she was in and out of the hospital a lot. So as well as our scheduled um appointments, she would just like pop down and see me when she was yeah. in the hospital. Yeah. And it kind of it, it made things a bit more easier kind of seeing someone we knew a bit better than just like the nurses and the doctors and even though they were obviously amazing too but just kind of having that extra yeah extra person from yeah. before um really really helped and um yeah definitely helped the old mental health yeah um yeah and then after two weeks well it was actually nearly three weeks of being mm. in hospital um we finally I could kind of see the start of getting ready to go home and as much as I wanted to get out of the hospital and just live my life again Mm. I was also really really scared about what that was going to look like and what that was going to mean um so they organized um a social worker to come and see me at the hospital and kind of like talk to me about different options we had for when I went home and kind of I guess just uh, evaluate where I was at with everything um and then I also they organized ACC to supply me some home help which yeah. was really handy um and then I still had the pick line in my arm and um I was still on antibiotics 24 hours a day for two weeks after I was discharged so it was it was 
good because it meant I got to go home from hospital a lot sooner mm. than I would have without it. But I was still having to carry this really ugly black thing <laughs> around literally everywhere I went. Yeah. I had to sleep with it. Um, I had to shower <laughs> with it. And it was just like, oh, it was yeah. horrible. Like, it was so annoying. Yeah. And I had this really big, ugly, like, line in my arm in the middle of the summer. So I had to have this massive bandage around mm-hmm. my arm. And it was just like, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I had a nurse from Nurse Maud come around every single day to change my antibiotics bottle which we had to keep in the fridge at home. And um, I had to have Cody give me injections into my stomach every night for two weeks. And I think most people that get C-sections actually have to have these while they're in the hospital. But it, like, helps prevent blood clots. And they... I hope my sister's not listening to this because she's about to have a C-section. But um, <laughs> they are horrible. Yeah. They... You don't really feel the needle going in, but you feel afterwards it just hurts so bad mm. it's like a good probably like 15 seconds anyway yeah I had to have them um for two weeks and again it got to a point where probably like a week into it I just cried every time he had to do it mm-hmm. and like I would like yell at him to get away from me yeah <laughs> so like I felt really bad because he obviously he was just trying to help but yeah, um yeah. yeah I would just be like get away from me um yeah, so along with all that, I had hospital appointments, so I was kind of under two teams, so I was under plastic surgery, um, and they looked after my dressings once I was discharged from hospital, yes. and then I had, um, I was under the infectious diseases team, which sounds horrific, mm. um, but they, yeah, they looked after me and kind of just made sure that um, my infection levels weren't going back up and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, um, I had phone appointments with my GP, and that was kind of um, regarding my mental health, and they actually referred me to a counsellor that I wasn't sure if I needed, because within probably like 24 hours of being home, I already started to really notice a change in my mental health, Um, and I think it was just a lot of it being cooped up and having all these things done every single day, so mad respect to anyone that has that. Mm. most days of your life like it's yeah um so I ended up cancelling the mental health side of things I cancelled my counselling because I just noticed such a difference and I just went back to my normal like personality and self within probably about a week of being home um but yeah it was yeah a huge huge journey and mm. a huge road to recovery yeah um, and that's that's what I just remember all the doctors and nurses telling me in the hospital um, yeah. when I was getting ready to go home was like it's going to be a huge journey and it's going to mm. be a huge road to recovery it's not going to happen overnight um but yeah when I got home yeah like I said it was just like I think the mental side of things really yeah. improved and I got to bond with Charlotte and it really didn't take long at all yeah. kind of have this insane connection with her and bond Mm. with her um yeah it was still really hard though because I was being so closely watched and I had like I remember saying to Cody like I'm just sick of people being in my house like if it wasn't family yeah I just didn't want them in my house and like it was just I felt like I couldn't relax because I would have a nurse a a nurse come or someone coming to you know clean my house which is Mm. great but when you yeah you just want your own space by that point um yeah yeah but yeah yeah. and how do you feel looking back on it now like obviously that's such a like massive thing to go through after an already massive thing like a c-section or a birth um 
how do you feel yeah when you reflect on it now and sort of that whole that whole process and being really unwell and yeah what are your thoughts um I had I think I've processed it all now I for the first few weeks of being home I couldn't really think about it because Mm. I would kind of get anxiety a little bit yeah um and I also didn't look at my scar for weeks and weeks and weeks Mm. um I've only kind of just got comfortable with like touching it a bit more now and um, like looking at it now but yeah I just look back and um I don't think I actually realized how sick I was Mm. and I think that Cody being the person he is didn't really want to make it that obvious to me how (laughs) sick I was either yeah Um, but my sister like I said before she's having a baby in a couple of weeks and she's under my same midwife um and my midwife actually said to her yesterday or something that she in her whole career had never seen someone get as sick as I have um so yeah I think like yeah I didn't really realize how bad it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. And how are you going now? How is Charlotte going? What are you, what is it like being a mum? I know she's five months old now. So what have the last couple of months been like? Yeah, really good. We have been really lucky. She um, is a really chilled baby. And that's what everyone that is around her says. I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God, she's so chilled. Yeah. Um, and she's been a really good sleeper as well. Like we would, uh, a bad night for us would look like one wake up um, up until the last few weeks and now she just doesn't want to sleep. But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's really good and she's she's such a healthy baby and we're still, um, we're breastfeeding, we've got no issues with breastfeeding. Um, my supply didn't really get affected that much when I was yeah. in hospital. So yeah, we've been really lucky and um, I'm, yeah, I'm loving it and yeah cool well thank you so much for joining me Shannon I've really enjoyed talking to you today and you certainly have had um a massive (laughs) massive journey um to where you are today but yeah I'm super grateful that you're willing to share and I know that there'll be someone out there that this podcast will help so thank you yeah thanks for having me Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it and I look forward to bringing you another episode next week talk soon Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.